You are tuned into My Scars Ministry, newest radio show, Scars Talk with Pastor Monica Gay Harris. And I am excited to bring this new talk show to you that will feature everything from live one-on-one interviews, testimonies, spoken word, and poetry contributing to the healing of others. Thank you so much for tuning in. Tonight, I am excited. This is our very first episode, and tonight I will be recognizing some truly exceptional men. Each of the men featured have made a lasting impact on their community, church, individuals, or in their families. They were anonymously submitted to me by friends and family. So later on in the show, I will be recognizing each one of them along with the reason why they are an exceptional man. The submissions, I have two interviews tonight with two exceptional men that I have chosen personally. Each of these men have proven to be a positive influence, not only in the lives of their families, but in the lives of their community and others as well. There's a silent killer in our community. Black people, you better believe that strokes are hitting us hard. And a stroke doesn't care about your money or status. Know that it could be a stroke if you suddenly have problems speaking or seeing. Maybe one side gets numb or weak. If any of these occur, act immediately. Call 911. Act immediately. Call 911. Getting immediate medical help can be the difference between recovery and disability. Maybe it's happening to someone who's helped you. Now it's your turn to give back and help them. And help them. Strokes can be caused by high blood pressure. So I've taken my health seriously. Yeah, it looks good. But life looks even better. This is Kelly Price. Blacks have a higher occurrence of stroke. Why is that? Call 1-888-4-STROKE or visit www.strokeassociation.org. Time lost is brain lost. A public service message brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Okay, everyone, we have come to that time in the show where I would like to present to you the first nominees for our exceptional man. And these um, names were submitted by Sister Audra Johnson. And the first name is Brother Rodney Kirkwood. He's from Memphis, Tennessee. He's an author, a single father, and an awesome man of God. He is very active in his church, and he also does missionary work. He has the heart of a pastor, and he loves God's people. The second name is Brother Jason Linton. He is from Greenville, South Carolina. He's a published author and works hard for the ministry. He's married, and he and his wife started a group for married couples that they oversee. They have overcome many obstacles in their marriage and through their relationships. And they have a wonderful testimony regarding their relationship and their marriage. The third name is Brother P.O. Gray. He is a single father and author from Memphis, Tennessee. He was also submitted by Sister Audra Johnson for his dedication to the kingdom of God and work in the community. He is also an awesome motivational speaker. I'd also like you all to know that all three of these men have co-authored the book, 12, 1, 2, 12 Kings. Again, that is 12 numerical 
Kings. And that book, I'm sure, can be found on Kindle. And you can uh, also find it on Amazon. And you can download it to your Kindle, etc. And so I would like to thank Sister Audra Johnson for sending in the names of Brother Rodney Kirkwood, Brother Jason Linton, and Brother P.L. Gray, and recognize them for being the exceptional men that they are. My Scars Ministry um, wishes to extend to you a God bless you, and thank you for making a difference in the lives of those around you, in your community, and definitely in the kingdom. God bless you all. So those were our first submissions. Stay tuned for later on in the show when we're going to present the additional nominees for Exceptional Men. If my life had a voice and told you my journey, you wouldn't believe it. And because of his grace, there's no way you can see it. And if my scars did not heal, and if his love did not, did not shield me,
Tonight, I am excited. This is our very first episode, and tonight I will be recognizing some truly exceptional men. Each of the men featured have made a lasting impact on their community, church, individuals, or in their families. They were anonymously submitted to me by friends and family. So later on in the show, I will be recognizing each one of them along with the reason why they are an exceptional man. In addition to the submissions, I have two interviews tonight with two exceptional men that I have chosen personally. Each of these men have proven to be a positive influence, not only in the lives of their families, but in the lives of their community and others as well. This first young man I had the pleasure of meeting about four years ago through work. He is a patient care manager in the hospice industry and was previously a legislative liaison for the National Institute of Health. He and I instantly bonded because we were both from Ohio. Go Buckeyes! <laughs> and then we recognized the God in each other. Over the years, he has gone from friend to brother. He currently serves with a number of ministries, including director of operations for a single parent ministry. He is a sports chaplain for many local high school athletic teams and a leader in the men's ministry in the church where he attends. He has written three books, one published and two currently slated to be released by the end of the year. He is married with three children and one on the way, and he will share his awesome testimony regarding that during the interview. I present to you author, coach, speaker, and my brother, Aaron Williams. Good evening, Aaron. It is a pleasure to have you here with us tonight. And um, that was such an awesome uh, biography that I've given everyone regarding your tribute to the community, why um, I feel you're an exceptional man, and why I chose to interview you here on Scars Talk tonight. So go ahead and just, you know, you can introduce yourself and tell everyone a little bit about yourself, and, and we'll go from there. Well, uh, Monica, I, uh, I appreciate 
you uh, wanting to uh, interview me, having me here tonight. I, um, uh, I'm actually just honored to be able to sit here with you and have this conversation and I uh, look forward to um, the questions and answers that we'll have tonight and I uh, can't wait to get started and glorify God. Amen. Amen. And so in, in, in reading your, your biography, I see that you're involved a lot, and I know personally that you're involved a lot with um, your church and with the community. You have been assisting me in my ministry when I've had people that have called in that have been homeless and nowhere to go or, you know, single moms. So I think that is awesome in itself how you're doing that. And I've also watched you grow and evolve over the years that I've known you. And so I just want to say personally that I, I thank you for that. I thank you for never being selfish anytime that I reach out to you for anything. You're always there without hesitation. And if you can help, you will refer me to someone that can. And so I just want to appreciate you and publicly thank you for that as well. Now, thank you um, so much. I appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Now, I want you to tell everyone, because I told everyone that you had written, you've written three books, one which is already published, and two that will become published later on this year. But go ahead and tell everyone the name of your first book, what inspired you to write that book, and you know where they can purchase it and, and read it. Okay. Well, uh, the first book is uh, Southern Mayhem, and it's actually uh, based – on uh, my playing days when I used to play, uh, I grew up playing baseball. It kind of tells the story of me transferring from baseball over into uh, adult softball, which a lot of people probably do not realize is out there. And it's, uh, uh, it's a very interesting and intricate uh, system with, uh, where it's run by, you know, um, famous brands that, you know, kind of run and pay for different athletes to come out and sponsor and promote their um, they're just basically all their products, and that's what we're out there to do. Is so it was. It kind of follows my story of getting into a different sport, a little bit different than baseball, but um, also playing a game that I love and being able to go out uh, and promote these companies. And you know, it just kind of mentions how the different people that I interacted with along the way, uh, me having to my struggles to learn the sport, even though it may seem similar to baseball, but it's, it's a lot different than I really expected, uh, as well as understanding that it uh, doesn't matter that it's our game. It was, uh, it was definitely something that the companies behind it really ran uh, for their promotional um, material. And, um, but it's available if anybody's interested in baseball or just wanting to um, know all about that sport, uh, the adult softball. It's available at either Barnes & Noble, it's available on uh, online at Amazon, you can download it to Kindle. Um, but yeah, that was produced, or I'm sorry, um, published back in 2014, I believe. Okay, now is that uh, Christian related or just um, written because of your love of baseball and giving everyone a behind the scenes look at um, transitioning from, from one to the next? Well, in all honesty, I am a person that um, loves challenges. I pride myself on setting my focus on a goal and um, aiming for not only reaching that goal but surpassing it. And uh, I was tasked one day with 
uh, writing a short story for something and got some really good feedback on it. And so somebody said, hey, you should actually, uh, you, you know, you should do more writing. So, in, you know, just to, uh, I wanted to write a book, put it into a story. So I just elaborated more on the uh, short story, which was this baseball and softball story. And, um, you know, I put it into book format to, and put it out there to see if anybody was interested uh, in publishing it. So it was really more for me saying, hey, I wrote a book. It wasn't really to lead anybody anywhere. It wasn't really to um, inform anybody. It was something I definitely love, but mm -hmm. it was really more the challenge of saying, can I do that? Can I get a book published? And well, Yeah, uh, well, that's it. awesome. Because I know there are many people that, um, including myself, <laughs> that people have spoken into saying, you need to write a book, you need to do this. So you just being challenged and being able to do that first one has opened the door, and now you know what you need to do or, you know, to go forth with your, your second, third, and so on. And so with, with that being said, um, can you tell us a little bit about the other two books that will be coming out this year? Yeah, absolutely. So... Um, the first one that is, well, there's, I started out writing one and it was called Suburban Foot Soldier. It's, uh, it's more of a memoir of my life. I've gone through quite a bit in my life and I want to use it as a, um, I guess a self-help tool, not necessarily that somebody's going to really be helped reading my words, but it, that it will lead them to God. It'll lead them to the scripture. It'll lead them to the, the word of God, uh, that helped me during my time of struggles um, and all the different uh, obstacles that I've faced throughout my life and most recently um, with my daughter passing. And I want to use it as, uh, and as an ability, as a tool to help those who may be struggling. They may not be going through the exact same thing, but they can look at that and go, hey, here's somebody whose back was up against the wall, and instead of giving up or instead of running away or just, you know, balling up and uh, cowering in a corner, they turned to God and said, hey, you know, knew that they had the strength and the authority and the power uh, through his name and used that to continue going forward. And um, so that's what that book is really used for is to be a self-help. And I, it's, it's funny, Monica, I started uh, writing it years ago before I was going to make it a, um, I guess, necessarily a self-help book. Originally it was more a self-help book for myself. It was me putting down my, my, um, my thoughts on paper, and it was helping me kind of get it out, get all these things out of me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was writing the book, and it's just interesting. The way I was originally writing it was that I was telling a story to one of my children that we were in a hospital setting, and I was explaining some stuff to them, telling them, hey, you know, don't worry. Look, some, you know, somebody else has been through this stuff and kind of explaining my story that way. I put it on hold for a couple of years, stopped writing it, and then last year when my daughter passed away, um, something prompted me and said, no, you need to switch this. It's still a good book that you can take, but you need to twist it um, and put in you know, God's word and, you know, and let people see how it's manifested in your life and what it's, what's happened in your life. Um, and so, but it, I just find it interesting that when I first years ago was going to write it, I was writing it because I was in a hospital setting in my mind as I was writing it. Wow. I stopped writing it. And then two, then two years later when I started to write it again, it is literally because we were in a hospital setting and my daughter was uh, passing away. Wow. Wow. I, um, 
know, uh, again, I, I've been with you through that whole entire um, ordeal, and I can't say that I've, I've met a family more encouraging than you and your wife and um, how you handled everything, how God had, had given you the strength to go through this ordeal. So um, we haven't elaborated too much on what happened. Do you feel comfortable in giving that testimony? Because that testimony also has a happy ending, <laughs> and I want you to, to share that if you don't mind. No, absolutely. Um, so 2000, January of 2016, my uh, year-old daughter, Lily, well, before I go too far, let me, let me say this. I have dreams. I dream things sometimes before they happen. I don't necessarily um, know in full effect what's going, what the dreams are cultivating, but I dream things a lot of times, and then afterwards I know, I understand what that dream meant. And uh, actually in December of 2015, my wife and my daughter and my sister-in-law all were visiting uh, my wife's home country of Guatemala, and during that time that they were gone, I was, uh, you know, there was, it, I had a very heavy heart every time I passed my daughter's room. It was just, it was just the weirdest feeling. I would literally go in there, sit on her bed, and feel just like a very heavy heart, almost in a mourning and more of a grieving type of way. I had no idea what that was. Well, they came back um, on a Tuesday one week, once they came back. Uh, that Friday, a few days later, I had a dream that I could not um, find my daughter. I was running around everywhere, crying, looking for her, couldn't find her. Finally, I found her at a school. And, uh, you know, so I'm hugging her, talking to her and everything, and I turn away for one second, and I turn back around, and she's gone again. And I woke up, like, sweating, crying. I woke up my wife, and I said, hey, I, uh, I had this weird pick. Uh, it, it was just a in my stomach, and I just I, – I couldn't go back to sleep. I was so nervous for some reason, and, you know, I, uh, it was just – I didn't know what it meant. Um, however, the following week, I got a call from my wife, picking up my daughter from school, said, um, hey, Lily's sick, and can you come home? So I come home, and I'm sitting with her. And uh, just for those of you all that don't know, uh, Lily has always had issues with asthma and allergy. Um, so she had a nebulizer machine at home where if it got, she'd have an asthma or, a, um, uh, I'm sorry, what are they called? The, um, inhaler that she would take with her out in public, which she rarely used. But if she broke out in any kind of asthma attack or allergy attack, she had this nebulizer that would help give her steroids and stuff that she needed to, um, open up her lungs with these attacks. And so I came home from work that day. Uh, it was in the afternoon. I'm sitting with her. My wife goes to, uh, to, the, to the grocery store to pick up some more medication. And, you know, my daughter comes and sits next to me on the couch. And she knew very well when, when she was feeling like, hey, I need my medication. And she said, hey, you know, I, it's, I, need to, I need to put on my mask. So she put on her little pink rhino, rhinoceros mask that she always wore. She put that on. And, um, you know, she was just wheezing away, and, you know, so to calm her down, she'd get very wound up because she was very nervous and scared, you know, it's, uh, which you can imagine when somebody can't yeah. breathe. And um, 
So I would sing her a couple songs. Her favorite song was um, You Are My Sunshine, so I'd sing her that. And uh, after that medication was done, she I, I could tell she was still sucking, trying really, really hard to breathe. So I gave her uh, another treatment. And after that treatment, we uh, she just said, Dad, I'm, I'm really tired. So I went and laid her on her bed. And um, I noticed she just did not look good. She was still wheezing. And normally if it gets past two um, treatments, she needs to go to the hospital. So I call my wife, tell her, hey, we need to go take Lily to the ER. And at that point, I noticed my daughter just did not, something didn't look right. So I uh, told my son, my uh, seven-year-old at the time, I said, hey, keep an eye on her. I'm going to run to the car and start it. Before I could even get to the garage, he's like, daddy, daddy, come here. I come running in her room, and she, uh, her eyes are rolling back. Her fingernails are turning purple. Her lips are turning purplish blue, and she just slides right off the bed. So I pick her up. I go run into the living room. I was going to run and put her in the car and try to drive. I said, there's no way I'm going to get to the ER. So I put her down on the ground. Um, I'm performing CPR. I've got my older son calling 911. I'm listening to them. Um, and, it, and, you know, a little bit into it, and then I realized that my youngest son, who's four, is sitting there just standing over us going, Lily, Lily, you know, crying out for him. And um, he, uh, so I, I grabbed my older son and I said, hey, take her, take her to the room, uh, or take him to the room, took him to the room. Um, it seemed like forever. I'm sure it was less than a couple minutes, but it seemed like forever before somebody actually got there. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, the police officer comes running in. He's checking her. Uh, my wife shows up, the ambulance, and the neighbors come over. Everybody comes over, and uh, they kind of remove me and my family from the situation. They put her on a stretcher, and they take her to uh, a local hospital. Um, so we we head over to the local hospital, and she's in the emergency room. They're, you know, um, having to manually help her breathe with a machine that they're sque- manually squeezing uh, oxygen into her lungs. Um, they ended up having to life flight her to – Eggleston in downtown Atlanta, and uh, so we ended up having to drive over there, and that was just a horrible drive because you have no idea what's going on. It's you know starting to be late at night. I have no okay. idea I've never been there. I had no idea where I was really going. So uh, finally we get here. Um, so another three hours of sitting in a waiting room, not knowing what's going on, not being allowed to see your daughter, not knowing what the deal is, and finally, around 11 o'clock that night, they call us um, and say, hey, you can come back to the room. She, they've got her hooked up to ventilators. They've got her hooked up to all kinds of monitors and everything. And basically, uh, they had to give her a paralytic. I think I said that right, a paralytic, uh, to paralyze her to the point where uh, temporarily so she would not fight against the machines so the machines would breathe for her. Um, during that time, we, you know, we prayed. We had uh, church members, family members. We had anybody, any and everybody that wanted to uh, lay hands on this child and uh, pray. And over the course of seven days, a number of people just, you know, uh, come in and uh, and just speak over her and love on her and pour into her. And it was, uh, it was not. It was a very beautiful moment, just because, or you know, time because it was, it was. We didn't know what what was really going to happen, but to see the love and the peace that was there, um, mm-hmm. I know that uh, you guys, you uh, you very graciously set up a, a call, uh, a prayer call, and you know, we uh, the, the morning y'all had that, I woke up, 
God don't jump on the call, didn't say anything. I don't even know if y'all knew that we were there, but I put the phone next to uh, Lily's ear while she was on the bed. So she heard every prayer and every um, everything that was said for her. And uh, it was uh, it was that night that they that they uh, told us that her basically her brain, due to lack of oxygen, had swelled to the point that it had nowhere to go and damaged her brainstem, uh, and that she would basically no longer be able to live. She was really no longer living at that point. According to the doctors, of course, they were willing to, you know, do a, their processes. They do two different doctors within uh, every 24 hours to double check and make sure that there's nothing that anybody missed. So there was still the next morning, uh, which they did come in. They did the tests, and they let us know that again it was the same. It was conclusive, uh, and that uh, um, that she had um, basically we had the choice of well we didn't really have a choice. It was they were going to be removing her from um, basically life support. Uh, we did have a company come in that wanted to ask us about um, donating her organs, you know, and we didn't, we didn't think anything of it. We said, absolutely. If there's anybody that it can help. And, um, you know, a couple months later we did find out that it ended up, she was able to help four people, um, uh-huh. And uh, one of the the most amazing part about that is one of the people was a little five-year-old girl that had two brothers. And, um, I mean, the way they described her, the way that she loved school and everything was just like our daughter, and that little girl got her heart. Of all things to get, she got her heart. Wow. Um, That just chills. (laughs) Do what now? That just just gave me chills. Yeah. Yeah, it did the same to us. but fast forward a year, it's been uh, – it's been uh, well, during that time, I'll just tell you this. It was very peaceful. And, you know, when you hear people say that uh, you will get the peace that surpasses all understanding, that's what we have. People ask me all the time, and I say, I can't explain it other than say it's God. It's, Amen. There is no way you could go through something like that, have peace and any kind of strength, and be able to go through that. Uh, without knowing that you're, you're hanging on to the to the Lord, and um, not even two months later, we find out that my wife's sister, the same one that went, that was on that Guatemalan trip, um, got diagnosed with breast cancer, and she ended up having to go at 29 years old, go through chemo, radiation, lost all her hair. Everybody mm-hmm. was struggling, and my wife really didn't get the opportunity to mourn because two months into the death of her daughter. Her sister was now going has a disease that they were saying they weren't sure if it was going to what it was going to do to her life. Wow. Um, so it think it last year was a whirlwind. It was a stormy um, time um, to say the least. And not to mention, as I mentioned earlier, that I have dreams. Well, I did dream uh, about my uh, sister-in-law as well. It was the same scenario. It was just a different situation. Um, mm-hmm. But I dreamed it two days before we got the notice that she uh, she was diagnosed with cancer. And the funny thing is, her oncologist, uh, well, the way they found this was my youngest son, my four-year-old, thinks he's Hulk and went to jump on my sister-in-law. And when he did, he accidentally hit her in the breast, and it hurt for, a, I don't know how long, a certain period of time. She went to go have it looked at because it hurt so bad, and they said the exact spot where it was hurt and where he uh, elbowed her is exactly where they found the cancer. 
And they said that they would have never found it if it wasn't for him jumping on her like that. Wow. Um, so that's, that's a God thing right there as well. Yeah. Who knows what would have happened if that, and when we would have ever found this out if it was not for him doing that. Wow. Um, but like I said, fast forward a year, we've hung on to the Lord in our strength. He's been our joy. He's been our peace. And um, one year, on the one-year anniversary, can you repeat that because your phone went out? On the one year of our uh, anniversary of our daughter's heavenly birthday, we were um, we had family and friends over, and we were celebrating, um, you know, her heavenly birthday. And uh, we found out on the exact same night that we would be um, blessed with a new baby. Wow, God is awesome. On the one-year anniversary, absolutely. And then what's even more awesome is we found out a um, couple months later that it's going to be a little girl. <laughs> now, if that's not a God thing, I don't know what it is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Well, praise God. Wow, that is – I still have chills over here. I, it's truly amazing at the way God works, even down to um, you explaining how your your son, you know, mistakenly hit your sister-in-law in her breast, and it was in the exact spot where the cancer was. God is God is truly, truly amazing, and I just – I thank God for him. I thank God for you, your wife. Um, I thank God for Lily because truly Lily brought together, um, as we could see even on my prayer line, there were people from all over, all nationalities, all different genders, all different religions, but we were all on there on one accord with one purpose, and we were seeking the face of God for Lily. So even through that, look at all the people that she brought together. So she's truly our our angel. And, oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, so God bless you and your wife and, you know, the, the new baby who's truly going to be uh, another blessing, another blessing. And um, before I end here, I wanted to, I, uh, the third book, I think I read somewhere that it was called Fly Birdie, Fly, or Fly High Little Birdie. Is that it? Flying like, flying like, flying like a birdie. Yes, flying like a birdie. And okay, so and that one is a story. Is that about Lily? Yes, that is the uh, story of of Lily. Uh, kind of builds up to you know, kind of tells a little bit about her because she was truly an exceptional uh, little child. And I don't just say that because I was her dad. I, I told people even at the funeral that she was the teacher and I was the student. She taught us so much and she was truly you know jesus with skin on um but yes it's uh the reason i came up with the um the title was the last video we have of her is she was on a tire swing in guatemala swinging and the video she's saying i'm flying like a birdie i'm flying like a birdie and then like i'm like you know uh not even two weeks later is when she uh, truly did fly like a birdie home Wow, that is truly an amazing testimony. And so I, I just want to take the opportunity to thank you for taking the time out to come online tonight and, and share that awesome testimony with others. And I'm sure that there are some people out there who are going through some things that, you know, they just think they can't make it through. And just listening to your story and the peace of God and how 
how God gave you peace through this whole ordeal and how you stood strong, you stood on your faith, and, you know, and look at you now and look how God restores and blesses. I mean, you could never get back Lily, but you will never get rid of her memories, and now he's blessed you with another angel. And so I want to take this time just to say thank you, and in ending the interview, I want us all to remember to love like Lily. Thank you, Erin. Thank you. Okay, everyone, we've come to the next segment of recognizing those exceptional men. So this uh, nominee was submitted by Brother Everett Johnson of Mansfield, Ohio, my hometown. Yay. And Brother Everett sent in Brother Tyree Shine's name. And for many years, Mr. Shine has helped out in the track and field in the Mansfield area. He has been doing this since before 1982. He has been a great role model for many, including the boys and girls in the community. The awesome part about this is he does not get paid one dime for this. He has been volunteering to help others in the community for over 30 years. What a blessing that is. I know Mr. Tyree Shine personally, and I just want to say kudos to you for being an exceptional man. The next names were sent in by Brother Ephraim of New Orleans, Louisiana. He would like to recognize Blaine Peterson and Pastor Marcel Gerritsen. Both men have given sacrifices of their time and resources, reaching out to the lost sheep in the communities, especially those who have been lost to drugs and alcohol. There has been a positive rippling effect of their efforts as families have been restored, lives have been changed, bondage has been broken, and victories have been won, as well as leaders even being set free and set loose to wreak havoc on the enemy's head. To God be the glory. These are two awesome men, two awesome, exceptional men, submitted by Brother Ephraim of New Orleans, Louisiana. And on behalf of myself and my SCARS ministry, we would like to say thank you. The last submission for the night is a brother that I know personally myself. And this brother was submitted by Sister Kimberly Moore Potts. His name is Brother Keith West, and he's from Charlotte, North Carolina. Kimberly has witnessed firsthand Keith working hard to be a wonderful father to his own children as well as other children that he knows. His heart is bigger than he is, and God has given them the gift to work with children, and his gift shines through. She says that when you think about a father, Keith West is the true meaning of one, and he goes above and beyond the call of duty. Thank you, Brother Keith West, for being an exceptional man. These are all of our nominees for tonight, and I would just like to thank each and every one of you for making a difference in the lives of those in your community, for making a difference nationwide and, and even worldwide, My Scars Ministry would like to thank you for being the exceptional man that you are. And this was no contest. There was no competition. It was simply those who love you sending in your names so that you can be recognized 
for what you often get discredited for. So Brother Rodney Kirkwood, Brother Jason Linton, Brother P.L. Gray, Brother Tyree Shine, Brother Blaine Peterson, Pastor Marcel Gerritsen, Brother Keith West, we thank you for being exceptional men.
hope that you are enjoying this very first episode of Scars Talk with Pastor Monica K. Harris. It has been a pleasure. I am truly thrilled at the submissions that I've received, and I have been um, just, just in awe and, and just thanking God for the people that have submitted submissions, recognizing these exceptional men. And truly, I could not air them all tonight, but you know, each and every one of you are exceptional in your own right. And if you feel like you're not, then you can always work on it. You can always work on being exceptional. Amen. So without further ado, we're going to go right into our second interview of the night. And this interview is going to be with a young man that I had the pleasure of meeting over 13 years ago. 
I met Mr. James when I first moved to Atlanta and we developed a friendship and we have maintained that friendship over the years and I have seen Mr. James progress over the years and I am very proud of his accomplishments and all that he has done and so I wanted to bring him on the show tonight just to recognize him for what he has done and contributed to the community and just to let him know that I feel that he is truly an exceptional man. So a little bit about Mr. Sean James. He, he was a foster child. He was adopted in Chicago, Illinois by two incredible parents who were Christians and that were raised in the AME church. At the age of 13, they moved from Illinois down to Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, where he was raised with Southern values and teachings. At the age 18, he graduated high school, having played multiple sports like basketball, football, track, and wrestling. After Sean graduated, he pursued a career in the U.S. Army in field artillery, and he participated in the Gulf War and was decorated as a, a Desert Storm veteran for assisting in leading his team in a hostile takeover of the enemy forces. After completing eight years in the military, Sean came out and married his high school sweetheart, and in 1997, they moved to Georgia and had one child who was about to graduate high school now and go into college. After three years of marriage, Sean divorced. And in 2003, his father passed away from prostate cancer. Now, 19 years later, Sean has remarried and has three additional children, two girls and one boy. Sean is co-owner of a direct primary care medical practice named Harris Internal Medicine located in Tyrone, Georgia. He is also an executive board member of the Healing Bridge Clinic located in Peachtree City, Georgia. Sean also is a Prince Hall Mason whose lodge is located in downtown Atlanta and he is a member of Dogwood Church in Tyrone, Georgia. Sean owns a multi-family renovation company called Precision Turnkey Renovations, and he also is a public speaker. Sean is also a published author. His book titled, What My Father Never Taught Me About Being a Real Man, has sold over 3,000 books worldwide. Lastly, Sean enjoys shooting at the range, playing golf, traveling, and real estate investing and I know that Sean he's a humble man and he is just pleased to be working in the kingdom he prays that God continues to work on him daily to help him to be a better husband father friend and mentor so I introduce to you tonight with his awesome testimony and great story, Mr. Sean James. Good evening, Sean. Are you there? Yes, I am, Pastor Monica. Good evening. How are you? I am blessed. I am blessed. It's such an honor to have you on the show tonight. Um, I chose two, and it was hard choice, but I chose two men that I know personally to interview on this first segment of Scars Talk with Pastor Monica and I, I was so 
honored to know you and see all of the accomplishments that you have had over the years. I'm tongue twisted here. And so I've seen you, you know, evolve. I've seen the things that you've done. And I just want to say that I'm very proud of you, and I am honored to have you as a guest on tonight. Well, thank you. I definitely want to return the same accolades to you. Um, knowing you for many years, I am honored and blessed that you would even ask me to be a part of this great endeavor that you're doing. And uh, it has definitely been a, a great journey, and the ministry that you put together is awesome, awesome, awesome. So I definitely pray that this will touch hundreds of thousands of people all across the country and the world, which I'm sure it will. And, again, I'm, I'm just so honored to be here and that you have selected me. So I'm, I'm definitely ready to get started. And um, if people don't know, I know knowing you for years, you have a great personality. You're so down to earth, so friendly, so giving, and uh, definitely uh, just a great person to be able to host this show. Oh, amen. Thank you. To God be the glory. It, it is not me. Truly, it is not me. And so I always make sure to give him all the honor and the glory. And I thank you so much for that. Um, it's very heartfelt, and I, I appreciate you. No problem. And so enough about me. This isn't about me. <laughs> it's about you now. And so I've, I've given a, a brief bio of who you are, um, where, you, where you came from, et cetera, et cetera. And so the first thing I'm going to touch on with you tonight is – I want to know, and I want you to tell everyone out here, what was your inspiration for writing your book, What My Father Never Taught Me About Being a Real Man? I'd like to know what inspired you to write that book. Well, thank you for asking. An excellent question. Again, my name is Sean James, and uh, the name of the book, again, is What My Father Never Taught Me About Being a Real Man. Lessons for Every Man and Their Sons. So what inspired me, Pastor Monica, is I was having a conversation one day with a best friend of mine. Her name is Angela. And actually she became my sister over the many years. She had a uh, another best friend that had passed away some years ago. So I became her surrogate brother. And so through that relationship over the last eight, nine years, she would always call me and kind of ask me questions and say, Sean, you know, I don't understand why uh, this guy that I'm talking to is doing this or why when I go on dates, why are men doing these things? Or when I get in an argument, I don't understand the responses that men are giving. And so after so many questions over time, I kind of realized that I related to a lot of the questions that she asked, that uh, these were issues that men had that were translating into the way they were relating to my sister as far as creating a relationship. And so what I mean by that is that there were insecurity issues, there were uh, possessiveness, there was abuse, uh, past abuse and things of that nature that were affecting the way that today's man was relating to today's woman. And so when she kept asking these questions over and over again, I kept realizing with other friends, too, that there was a disconnect as far as men of our time now that uh, were having a difficult time understanding the women of our time, that we grew up with old school values, but those values have kind of evolved and changed, and now it's just kind of a new culture that's out there. And so with that, I had to reflect upon myself and 
look at what issues did, did I have that related to the guys in their responses to my sister. And I found that, that through my dating career before I got married resembled a lot of the issues that she was going through. Um, I went through, um, you know, just giving <laughs> crazy answers or saying that maybe I was ready for a committed relationship when I realized maybe that I wasn't or uh, maybe, you know, it was – I didn't want to commit a relationship, but then part of me wanted it. And then when I got into it, I really didn't have the foundation to correctly uh, run a, a healthy relationship. So that made me look deep into myself and to my friends and other males around me as far as saying, hey, you know, what's, what's the issues going on? Like why are we responding this way and why is there a disconnect? So with that, I started a journey for about maybe two years as far as, you know, research and asking questions and looking into my own past and just decided, hey, you know, if I feel this way, then there has to be other men that feel this way. And so that's what allowed me to start to create uh, this book that was an idea that manifested into actual words on paper. So. Wow. Wow. That, that is truly interesting. I, um, I never would have thought that it was a book aimed at healing yourself basically internally so that you can step into a, um, a good foundational relationship uh, with a female. And so when you were saying that you, you needed the, the foundation that it would take to, to nurture this relationship that um, you wanted to walk into and eventually find and find out why, as a man, you were making these excuses or what, what it was about within you that was causing you to say, okay, I want a relationship, but, you know, something inside is pulling you away from it. So how did you develop that foundation? Um, through what methods? Was it through church? Was it through, you know, men's groups and where you all could sit down together and discuss it? How did you develop that foundation and move to the point of where you are now? Well, it was a combination of all those things, but just to give you a backdrop real quick, of course, you probably covered it by bio, but again, I was uh, a kid out of Chicago, Illinois. I uh, grew up just for a few years in foster care. Um, my parents, who are great Christian parents from the South, they adopted me, and so part of me from the beginning uh, always had that question of, you know, who am I? And I think most men start off with that, who am I? And then the journey that we take from uh, being a boy to a teenager to a young adult to a grown man is who am I and who am I becoming? And in our DNA, we're going to search for that connection with the male that influences us to become the man that we wish to become. So it could be positive, depending on the type of male that's in our life. It could be negative, depending on the type of male that influenced our life. Now, for me, it was positive. My father was uh, an awesome father. But, again, it goes back to the title of what my father never taught me about being a real man. He didn't sit down with me to teach me core values and things of that nature. I really just learned by, by looking and watching and seeing what he did. But you know, in my generation, it was uh, – I had a father that, you know, he worked 
you know, 80, 90 hours a week trying to be the provider for our family. Uh, my dad did a numerous, numerous amount of different jobs and careers uh, in his lifetime. And then my, my mother, she actually was a nurse, and so that's what she did most of the time. So she was probably the more stable one as far as career-wise. And my dad kind of did like what I ended up doing was uh, trying to find myself uh, and, and going into different careers you know, trying to fill a need that was inside of me, trying to fill a desire of satisfaction. So, you know, not having my dad really just teach me a lot of things, I kind of had to learn by trial and error. He was a good example, but there were so many things that I found out that myself and other men were missing in our foundation. And so from there, I uh, frantically began to search. Now, my father passed away from prostate cancer back in 2003, and that was a very eye-opening uh, experience for me. At that, that time, I was around the age of 30, or I was 30 years old at that time. And when he left, I just, you know, he did talk to me on his deathbed for the last few days while I was taking care of him and just telling me things that maybe he should have said along the way. But by that time, you know, I was so caught up in the illness that I listened, but I still was lost. Like, what am I supposed to do with this information? You know, I had already at that time been divorced, um, so that lets you know that I didn't have a successful marriage uh, at first, and, and I'm sure it had to do with some missing things that I didn't know. And so from there, I actually even had my, my first daughter at that age, and she was still a baby. And so I still had to figure out how do I raise this child and how do I put a family unit back together. And so from there, I felt there was a duty within me to go ahead and, and find a way to put the pieces of the puzzle together. And this is what I found that um, whether a man had a father or doesn't have a father or have some male figure, sometimes we find ourselves putting pieces of a life puzzle together, and we were missing pieces along the way. So, yes, to answer that question, it was uh, the men's group at church that put a few pieces together. It was men that I admired in the community that put a few pieces together. It was my pastor at the time that put a few pieces together. Uh, it was... Uh, trial and error. It was other women in my life that I've dated along the way that actually helped me probably the most as far as filling in pieces of the puzzle because they had fathers that had taught them uh, what to expect in a man. So just to, to touch base, when I was in my first long-term relationship or after I was divorced, actually the young lady who I was dating who was with me when my father passed, um, she was considerably few years older than me, about eight, nine years older than me. So she was a little bit wiser at the time, and she sat me down and told me, this is what my father told me a man is supposed to do, and this is what I expect. And I admit that the first time she told me that, I felt offended. I felt my pride uh, was hurt and challenged, and I felt inadequate for a minute, and I was defensive. And you know, I had to make a decision then, was I going to meet the challenge and try to become the man that she was expecting me to be, or was I going to cower out and decide to, to tuck my tail and, and run away with that fact and just try a, an easier relationship, maybe one that wasn't so critical or so uh, criticizing. Um, but, 
because I was actually prior military, you know, I was taught to meet the challenge. So I kind of sucked up my pride, and I decided I wanted to fill in that piece of the puzzle. And so she helped me as far as trying to identify those core values and things in my foundation that were weak that I needed to go ahead and strengthen to eventually evolve into the man that I was going to become. Uh, as, a, as a final piece, um, I was going to church. I was listening to the word, but I hadn't absorbed the word. And, and what I mean is I was, uh, I was listening to about Christ, but I really did not know who Christ was. And understanding in our foundation that the Bible actually is an instructional book that shows us what is expected of a man and how to be that man. Um, we have to put ourselves in place to be, to receive that information. And I had not yet grown into that uh, receiving part as of yet, but I was searching frantically. So to answer that question, it was many different people and pieces that helped fill in the puzzle to put the foundation together. Wow. I, I you know, I particularly like the part where um, the young lady played a part in helping you to become the man that you are. Um, and I hope for all the women that are listening that <laughs> they took that part in because, you know, when we, we, when we stand up for who we are and what we deserve, and then that's when we are treated as such. And it may not be, you know, with the person that we're with or seeking, but if we continue to stand our grounds and not give in either way by lowering our standards, then we will receive just that or we will help that person that we're with, like she did you, in growing and to becoming the man that they're supposed to be. And it was just ironic that you said that because um, my, my ex uh, told me that it was because of me that he became a man. And this is an ex from, you know, teenage years. But he wasn't, he wasn't as mature as I was. And I had my, you know, my list of this is what you're going to do, this is what I'm going to settle for, this is what I'm not going to settle for. And so when we stand our grounds and we mean it, then they look back at that. Like you said, you can either take the challenge or you tuck your tail and you run away. But if you tuck your tail and you run away, I guarantee you that somewhere along the line in life, you're going to have to use everything that that woman has told you about how to treat a woman and taught you. So I, I, I particularly like that part. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. So, so with this, have you developed um, some sort of mentoring young, young, uh, for young men in your neighborhood or in your community? Because it seems like you have all this knowledge now. You've written this book. You know you, you've now um, conquered it <laughs> and you are you're married and you're striving and you're moving forth and so it seems to me like you'd be uh, somewhere doing something for the younger men so that they can grow and they can know what they need to do in this aspect yes ma'am great great question pastor monica so let me kind of uh sum this up just a little bit the the book itself um was just a culmination of what I discovered that was missing. And being able to put that in a form of kind of like how grandmothers were teaching um, their, their, their grandbabies, their, their young ladies in the family, or how mothers were teaching their daughters, what I saw was that 
in the, the culture that started to come about that um, because the men were so hard at trying to provide and outside of the house and because of the change of our world as far as the economy and the work environment and everything and the demands of our culture, it started taking the father more and more away from the home. And so from there, uh, it, it just left a, a gap in between the father and the son. And so not only that, but we also have a culture of where the, the, the justice system is almost putting an attack on our young men. Um, and, and this doesn't go to any particular color uh, of men or, or type of religion or belief. I speak to all men, whether they're white, black, brown, uh, green, whatever the case may be, because all men actually have the same issues across the board. And so when I went to put this book together, I frantically searched on the Internet and in the libraries and in the bookstores to see what kind of book uh, catered to the issues that men had today, not what they had 50 years ago, but because of the, the new uh, environment that we're in, that we're bombarded with social media, that we're bombarded with uh, more taping and, and how the media on TV is uh, portraying men not only in sitcoms, TV shows, but also in movies, that they're no longer leaders in the household, but that they're showing them as um, comical uh, uh, subjects of, of uh, the Saturday Night jokes that are out there, that we're, we're not as uh, crucial in, the, in the, the, the nucleus of the family anymore. And so that was saddening to see that. And so the information that I got, like you said, I put it in a book because, and I made it simple to read because I understood statistically a lot of men don't have the time nor do they have the, the patience to sit down and read a 200, 300-page book. That's just not how it is uh, in the, our new culture. So I wanted to make something that was around 100 pages, that was in big print, um, very short sections that hit directly in the middle of whatever issues that we're dealing with with men. And so in the book, I talk about everything that today's man has to deal with, everything from uh, raising your son. And, and the, the book primarily targets from 15, age 15, to, um, to greater ages. And the reason why I said 15 is because that's when a young man actually starts to uh, discover or, or he's really – fueled into finding out who am I. He's emulating somebody. And that's, if you'll understand, that's where our teen boys actually start to stray when they're in school. That's when they join gangs. That's when they're uh, hanging out with the wrong crowds. That's when they're smoking weed. That's when they're drinking. That's when they're doing other things because this is the stage of puberty that they're frantically now looking to identify with someone. And if that a person that influence is not right there in front of them and has been there in the foundation the whole time, now they're going to be looking outward. And so I wanted to have a reference book not just for men but also for mothers, sisters, moms, dads, uncles, grandparents uh, to, to talk to them about the relatable issues of today's time and then being able to communicate that to that young man or adult. And so I also wanted to touch on all the taboo issues that were out there, uh, everything from uh, physical abuse to sexual abuse of young men to um, drugs to uh, whatever the case may be, and then tying that into how do you deal with those issues, 
and also how do you become a man as far as how do you date? I mean, I think when I became, my, you know, my dad never talked to me about how to date a young lady. Uh, I mean, we, we laugh about it, but, you know, I had no swag when I was 16, 17 years old. I had no game, as we like to say it. I just had to learn uh, along the way. And, you know, luckily I, I found, a, a, you know, young ladies that were interested in my personality, and my personality got me in the door. But after that, I had to find out how to maintain a healthy relationship. And there again, my father was working and working probably two jobs at the time, trying to make sure we were taken care of. And so we never had those daddy-son conversations on, hey, you know, who are you dating and, you know, make sure this and that and make sure you treat her like a lady and everything. I mean, even though he treated my mom great, um, I saw that, but that was on a marriage foundation, not on a dating foundation. So most of my life I had to figure it out. And mm-hmm. that's what I wanted to help solve for men and, and young, young men to older men now is that there's some reference out there that you don't just have to figure it out, um, that there's other men that are experiencing that that they can touch base with and, and have that information kind of ready available. From that, of course, um, it has grown and spiraled into a ministry within itself, and that's really the intent of why I wrote this book. This book is meant to be uh, a ministerial teaching book um, to impart uh, Christ into our young men and our older men, but it's also the language of the book is very direct, very sharp, uh, very bold, and so um, I'm, I'm – you know, even though I'm talking on a conference call here, I don't do a whole lot of cussing, but it's on the verge of cussing in the book because I realize the, the average man, when we're going through that barrier of ignorance that they don't know, I have to battle pride in the process because there's, uh, there's a, a – a, there's a process, there's a stage in which we don't, as men, the more prideful we are, we don't want to accept what we don't know. We don't want to be less adequate. We don't want to be ill-prepared. And so when I'm speaking to men, especially through the book, I'm speaking to them one-on-one to relate to them, and I'm speaking to them directly into their mind, into their heart, and I'm, I'm breaking through the pride level and say, hey, look, I don't care that you don't know. I know you don't know uh, because of the way your life has been moving at this point. So why don't you sit your behind down, read this information, and then try to learn something from it and make your life better so you can make better choices and be a better father, be a better mate, be a better spouse, better student, better athlete, whatever the case may be. And so we've um, and I say we because, you know, it took many people to help me with information to put this book together. But, you know, I think we've made a great strive in delivering the right message and the right tone to men of all nationalities uh, all over the place. And so to answer your question, it has grown into uh, a ministry of mentoring. Um, I am part of a, a group now, an organization that is called uh, H2H you know, here to help, 
uh, incorporated. And so it is a male and female civic organization, and we go out and we feed the, the, the homeless and we do uh, school drives. We do a number of activities, but in that um, we bring along young men with us from the high schools and from middle schools, and they go on a, and a walk through downtown to feed the homeless, and we're talking to them. We're, we're, we're showing them an example. It's one thing to just talk, but they need to see. They need to see the example that they can relate to. And so there's men of all occupations, of all statures, races that are involved in our group, and we're actually taking young men by the hand, and we're talking to them, and we're showing them the activities, and we're, we're, we're pouring into them which wasn't poured into us the same way. And so, yes, I do mentor to uh, young men. And then also, whether it's my job or church or whatever, I believe it's my duty to be an example for them to see because I've learned that you never know who's watching you. And so through that, you know, I have to walk uh, in my message. I have to walk in my ministry at the same time. And so it's not a perfect walk, but it's actually a walk that I've evolved and grown into because I did the same thing. I watched many men silently to see how can I be like them? How can I walk like them? How can I have my head up high and not be ashamed of what I don't know? Um, And maybe I can just if I watch him long enough and my pride can come down a little bit, maybe I can ask him a few questions so he can mentor me. And even though I'm at the age of 44 now, I still uh, am mentored by, by other men. It's still uh, necessary for me to get wisdom from other men that have walked the journey uh, that I wish to walk. And so, you know, I just return the favor by pouring down to the younger generation uh, with this information, and that's really the basis of why I wrote the book. Amen. Amen. That is awesome. That is much needed, especially today when there are so many single mothers out there, so many young men, you know, without father figures. So this book is definitely something that's much needed. So can you tell everyone where we can get your book? Absolutely. We're... Uh, it's actually on Amazon, and you can either pull up by my name, which is Sean James, S-H-A-W-N, James, J-M-E-S, or you could just type in what my father never taught me about being a real man. Actually, if you just put in what my father, um, it will probably pop up. So it's going to be a dark cover a book kind of blue and black, and then it'll have the white lettering, What My Father Never Taught Me About Being a Real Man, and it'll show up right there. Um, $11, you can get it as a paperback, very easy read, uh, something you could uh, sit while you're in the on the plane, if you're at the barber shop, if you're, you know, waiting for your son or daughter to pick them up from school, very uh, easy read, uh, easy for teens to read, um, easy for elderly men to read. Uh, so uh, definitely, again, short sections, but very impactful in every section that, we, uh, that we've written. Uh, I just make sure that there's something out of each section that a man can use, that a man can impart and and Uh, share with other people. Um, I've had pastors that have ordered um, at least 100 books and have given it to their male ministry, and they've done um, kind of book reviews on it, just picked a section out, and they've read it, and then they went ahead and discussed it, and it tied it into biblical scripture, uh, and and that has been tremendous as far as that's doing. I've had uh, mentoring groups that, you know, couldn't maybe couldn't relate or, or speak directly to that young man. So it's a great tool to just give to a, a young man, just tell him, hey, just read it, 
tell me what you think and, and get back with me on it. So I want it to be a tool. And again, I did not have the expectation that uh, that we would touch so many people. And so far to date, we probably sold about maybe 3,500 books. And, and it's ranged anywhere from the immediate United States to overseas because I've had military that's been uh, over there, plus it's been translated in about um, four or five different languages, too, for people in other cultures. So I'm very happy that um, I've, I've kind of uh, started to do God's work with that, to be able to build better men. Because by building better men, we build a better culture. Uh, by building better men, we uh, build better uh, warriors for Christ. And, and that's really what it's all about. That's really what means the most to me with this book. It's not about the money because um, actually I give about 50% of uh, whatever I get for the book. I'll pick a charity and I'll, I'll give that to a certain charity, um, something that's still uh, men-focused of some sort. And so, um, again, it's not about fame or anything. It's about the ministry of building men because I have – uh, three daughters, and so I want them to be able to find a strong, well-adjusted man as they get older. And so Amen. it's my duty to make sure that the information is out there, and if they meet somebody who didn't have the uh, the teachings that I had or didn't have the foundation, I can sit down with them, give them this book, and we can have a conversation, and hopefully it will change that young man's life to become a better father, spouse, uh, or whomever to, to my own daughters. And plus now I have a new son myself, and I want him to be able to have something of a legacy of teaching that I didn't have, uh, but I want to make sure that there's some, some part of me left with him that he can continue to teach his sons to build strong uh, men after I'm, I'm off and gone and, and join Christ in the future. Amen, amen. That is awesome. And so, um, again, everyone, you can get the book on Amazon. I think it would be a great gift. It's probably a little short, but if you can download it to Kindle or whatever, great Father's Day gifts, um, great gifts just to give uh, graduation gifts for young men and, and women and because we can all, you know, learn. And so um, I, I just thank you for that, Sean. I thank for, for God um, impor- imparting that into you because, you you had a a yearning you wanted to seek and you wanted to know and so i thank god for that there are so many young men out there that need this and so i i appreciate you i applaud you for being obedient and then just following through with this vision and then for the mentorship that's going on behind it it's, it's just all much much needed and so um we're getting a little pressed for time here, but I wanted to I want you to mention to everyone uh, what it is you're doing exactly now because you're on an executive board, um, a member of the Healing Bridge Clinic in Peachtree City, and you and your new beautiful wife um, are the proud parents of a, a new baby boy, and congratulations on that. And you. you're a co-owner of Direct Primary Care Medical Practice named Harris Internal Medicine and is located in Tyrone, Georgia. So I want you to just touch a little bit on those two things before we end the interview here tonight. 
Oh, wow. Well, thank you. Um, just in short, um, I, I just have to say I am so blessed and thankful, you know, from my journey of where I evolved from when I first met you to the man that I became now. It has definitely been a tumultuous journey, but, uh, you know, God is incredible. You know, God takes those and he molds us into what he's needed. And all I've ever prayed for along the way was just for more wisdom and just to know who he is. Uh, I don't pray for money. I don't pray for opportunities or business or, or a new house or car or anything like that. Um, I just pray to, that I have more wisdom and that um, – that I continue for him to reveal more of him to me so that I can become a, a better spouse and father and all that. I have to say my wife is uh, awesome. She's an awesome partner to me and supporter. She is also a minister herself, uh, a prophetic minister at that. And so with that, she's actually helped uh, to reveal more of Christ to me also in a partnership, um, not talking down to me or anything of that nature, but we have great dialogue sharing uh, with one another. Uh, yes, we, we have a great medical practice that's uh, together that she started, and so I kind of help support her with that as a, as a spouse, and, um, you know, we're able to help people in the community that are unable to either uh, afford insurance or wish to not have insurance, and so we uh, cater to that, and it's been a thriving practice. And then, uh, of course, um, I deal in real estate, so there's a number of projects that I'm working on at the present time. Um, all in all, just becoming, uh, letting God use us however he sees fit and, and just a, uh, a business owner that's just trying to gain more knowledge and be able to give back to the community. In short, that's, that's kind of where I'm at at this moment now. Amen. Well, that is why you were one of the ones chosen as an exceptional man. Truly, you've, you've made some wonderful, amazing progress, and you have evolved in such, into such a, I don't know, I, I can't even put the words to it, because like you said, from when I first met you to now, as I'm sure you've seen changes in me as well, but from the time that I met you to now, I've I've watched God take you from, as they say, from glory to glory to glory, and yet you remain humble, and you always, you know, um, give him the glory. So I thank God for you. I thank God for your friendship. I thank for what you're giving back to the community, to the young men, to the women, and even to the older men. And I just thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to be on here tonight with me for this episode. Well, thank you so much. It's definitely been an honor, and I'm truly humbled, uh, you know, regardless of what career choices I'm doing or business ventures. Um, I always, again, pray to just be used by Christ however see fit, and so I'm I'm so blessed to know you and that you've held on to me as a friend. That means so much to me, uh, and, and I see God doing incredible things for you and, and how this ministry will uh, continue to reach out and, and touch people, men and women, children, all alike. So I encourage you to continue to do what you're doing, and uh, you have all the support of me, my wife, my entire family, and my network of friends. We're here to stand behind you and your ministry, and I just want to leave one message to the men and women out there is that um, before uh, we leave this earth, um, I think it is God's intention that we continue to not only share his word and his glory, but to also leave a legacy of positive 
um, energy and information to uh, our kids, our family, our friends, and just leave a positive mark on the planet. When it's time for us to go, um, you know, the only thing that's going to really count is who have we brought to Christ and what mark have we left uh, on this planet that our great-great-grandkids can remember. And so a lot of times I ask people, do you know who your great-grandparents are? And a lot of times people will say no. And so that is the thing that I'm striving for, that I want my great-great-grandkids to remember and have some history of what I've done to uh, leave a mark on this world so that I continue to uh, have glory with God in the next world. Amen. Thank you for that powerful, positive message. And I pray that everyone listening has taken that in and that we all will truly, truly leave a legacy for our heirs to come. So thank God for you. You have a blessed evening. And, again, um, please continue, continue to leave your legacy, continue to make your mark, and thank you for being an exceptional man. Thank you, Pastor Monica. Well, everyone, I can't believe that it's come to that time already, but the first episode of Scars Talk with Pastor Monica K. Harris is coming to an end. It has been an exceptional show for some exceptional men. I'd like to thank my guest, um, Brother Aaron Williams and Brother Sean James, for coming on and sharing their awesome testimonies and giving us uh, a little bit of their lives and what's going on in and around their lives. And so we would like to thank you each for coming on and also for all of the men that have been recognized as being exceptional men. We truly do thank you and for all that you're doing for the kingdom and for the communities. And so I would like to thank you, my audience, for taking the time out to tune in to Scars Talk with Pastor Monica K. Harris. I look forward to our future shows. We'll have something very exciting coming up each time. We'll be doing a little spoken word, a little poetry, having live testimonies. Truly, it's going to be a great time in the Lord. So until we meet again, God bless you all. And remember, this is the place where your scars turn to stars. God bless you all. Good night.